helping families be happy. Welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family love and relationships. I am your host, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, a practicing clinical psychologist, wellness advocate, and author based in Sonoma County, California. I've teamed up with Familius Publishing to bring you nourishing, real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. Now I am thrilled to introduce today's guest, Dr. Mike Patrick, who will be talking with us about helping families be happy. Dr. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it and I'm excited to be here. I'd really like you to tell our guests just a little bit more about who you are. Right, absolutely. So uh, first and foremost, I would say that I am a father and a husband, so family life and, uh, you know, what we do at home and outside of the confines of work is very, very important. And so I love being on a podcast where we're going to talk about uh, how families can uh, be happy. Uh, I'm also a pediatrician. Um, I practiced uh, for 10 years in a uh, private pediatric practice, so an office-based practice. Um, I've spent uh, another decade after that working in uh, urgent cares and um, uh, pediatric emergency departments. Uh, So that's it on the clinical side. And then I've actually been a podcaster um, for over a decade. So I started a podcast back in 2006, and that is still going on called Pediacast. And in that, we just provide information for families. We share uh, pediatric news. We answer listener questions interview lots of uh, pediatric and parenting experts um, on that program. And then I also have a second podcast uh, called Pediacast CME, which stands for Continuing Medical Education. And that one is for uh, medical professionals. So uh, folks like myself who see kids, and it's for continuing medical uh, education credit, which all uh, doctors have to um, get each year. And so it's a way to, uh, to remain up to date. So could you tell me a little bit about just leading with the obvious question, right? What do you see in your line of work that makes the difference between a happy family and a not so happy family? Well, there are, of course, lots of uh, reasons and things that contribute to a happiness and also unhappiness as well. And I think um, probably one of the one of the biggest things that I see is um, is when folks have something that happens that is outside of their control, um, really uh, focusing in on that and looking at the negative rather than uh, the positive of of what is in relation to that. So just as an example, um, you know, when your when your child's not feeling well and uh, you know maybe they have a fever and they're sick. And uh, really, of course, you want to be appropriately concerned and you want if you know, if you have a concern and there's a fever that's persistent or your child's vomiting and you're worried they're getting dehydrated, you absolutely want to have a medical professional look at your child and determine, you know, what's going on with their, with their health. Um, but I would also look at the positive aspects of illness, so to speak. And uh, that is, you know, if they're home from school and you're able to stay home with them, even though they're sick, this may be an opportunity that you can actually engage with them and play and do some things that you normally wouldn't have been able to do. So, I mean, there's absolutely a time to worry, but rather than focusing in on that worry, uh, sort of look at the bright side, um, you know, get the appropriate help, but also uh, have some fun. 
I really like that you talk about it that way to not focus on the worry piece because worry doesn't really tend to do much good except make us stress and perpetuate the worry. And yeah, so you're yeah. saying assess the situation, do what you can do, handle it, see the doctor if that's what's needed, and then take advantage of whatever is in that situation that might allow you maybe some more connective time with that child. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I also think that it's important um, as we make day-to-day -day decisions as parents, we're not always going to make great decisions. Like we, we want to, <laughs> we want every one of our decisions to be a really good one. Uh, but sometimes we don't make good decisions. And rather than sort of focusing in on the bad decisions that we've made, just really try to make the decisions that you would make uh, moving forward. So, you know, a lot of times we'll have regrets or wish that we hadn't done something or had done something or we let our kid be in another uh, extracurricular activity or we didn't allow it. I mean, you could really kind of argue both ways, like, should we have done it? Should we not have done it? But rather than doing that, just move forward. Just move forward to the next opportunity and, and don't look back. And that makes a lot of sense. So looking at those day-to-day -day decisions, if you happen to make one that was a bit of a stumble, don't focus on the stumble, focus on the lesson, pick up, move forward. Yeah. And admit your mistakes to your kids. You know, when you do um, uh, make mistakes, have a culture of owning that mistake and apologizing and then, you know, doing your best not to do it in the future, although knowing that you probably will <laughs> at some point. But just, I think those are important lessons too, is just to really be uh, human with our kids and to let be transparent and let them see that we're working through this thing called life just like they need to do. And I love that that is so important to let the child see that the parent is fallible. You know, children will see when they see a parent that's being authentic and genuine, then if I'm hearing you right, that very authenticity and genuineness lets the child see that maybe their mistakes are okay too. Yeah, and that really, I think, um, provides then a safe environment for communication. Um, once you've kind of established that this is a safe zone and we can talk about anything and we can, you know, look at our mistakes and say, yeah, we've made mistakes and that's okay, but we're also going to move forward and try to make better decisions. And the reason why those are what we would consider better decisions based on the priorities of our family and, and uh, you know, our culture and maybe our faith, those sorts of things so that we have some understanding of why we do what we do. Um, but then by talking about it, we really give our kids permission to experience life. And when they are concerned or upset about something, they're more likely to talk to us about it, which is what we want. And I love that you bring that up as one of the, one of the keys, having that open communication, having the discussions, the, the ongoing talk, and that does create the safety, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. It really does. And so many of the things that kids, as they uh, enter into the teenage years, uh, that kind of get them into trouble, it often does stem from not having that open communication and from fearing, you know, what parents may think if they found out this or found out that and hiding it. And then, you know, one lie snowballs into another one or one situation online uh, or in the classroom, you know, that's occurring kind of snowballs into other situations that really, uh, if there was that that open, trustworthy, safe communication with a loving, caring adult uh, really could provide some, some bad outcomes that happen. 
And I really, thanks again for bringing up something that's so important. And I, you know, put that under one of maybe the, if we're looking at the healthy, healthy habits and the unhealthy habits that if we look at that piece where if you close down the communication and I love how you called that out how that perpetuates or maybe leads to patterns where children tend to lie to be avoidant because they don't have that safe place to go yeah now that of course also means that we're likely to have difficult conversations with our kids right and so you know you could look at it well I'm happier if I just pretend that stuff doesn't exist. But I find that even with difficult conversations, the, the more often you have them, the more comfortable they become. And just, just like anything else in life, you know, you just, you have to practice it in order to, to make it work. What are some of the most difficult conversations do you think that parents, in your experience, that, that parents encounter? You know, it really depends on the parent. I mean, one of the one of the things that certainly I think is uncomfortable and very unnatural for parents to talk about with their kids uh, relates to sexuality, um, because you just you're not quite sure how to have those conversations. And I think again, just being transparent, even letting your kids know, hey, I'm not that comfortable talking about this, but I think it's important that we do talk about it. And, uh, and then uh, one thing I, th I think that can make things a little bit easier is as you have these conversations is really let your kids lead it because uh, they're, especially those ones that are uncomfortable or a little difficult, they, what you perceive as being uncomfortable and difficult may not even be on their radar. Like you don't have to talk about, you know, every single point as it relates to a difficult topic that you're thinking of, just sort of let them lead the conversation, answer their questions. You can ask some probing questions if you think that that's something that's going on um, and then talk about those things um, just as openly as you can, but, but sort of taking it at an age appropriate stance and saying, what are they developmentally ready to hear about? What do I need to, you know, what questions do they have? And answer those questions, but you don't necessarily have to take it farther than that. The, the other thing I think that's important is that um, as we talk about difficult topics, um, you're not going to necessarily put ideas into their, into their heads. They're going to get those ideas anyway at school and online, and, and it's pretty unavoidable. So I'm talking about things like... Um, uh, do you have thoughts of, of being depressed or do you ever think about hurting yourself or killing yourself or hurting someone else? Um, I mean, you don't want to ask that question, you know, on a daily or weekly basis necessarily, but it is okay to talk about those things if you're concerned about it and you're not going to put the research really bears out that you're not going to put those ideas into a kid's head and then make it more likely that they'll be depressed or want to hurt themselves because you've talked about it. So as we see um, depression rates rise and we see um, lots more kids, there's lots more awareness about kids who may be thinking about hurting themselves and the schools are certainly asking about it. And a lot of times that's how it sort of comes to uh, the forefront for parents is that they get a phone call from the school and, uh, and the school saying, you know, Johnny saying he wants to hurt himself. And so uh, I think it's important to talk about even those sorts of things very openly and realizing you're not going to put that idea in their head. Does that, does that make sense? 
It makes perfect sense and I'm so glad you're speaking to it. And it, and it does make sense that a parent's fear of implanting a negative thought in the child's head and they might shy away from saying it when in fact, if I'm hearing you right, not only is that thought possibly already there, but if it's not, they're going to run into it soon enough on social media or from a friend. Yes, so yes, better, yes. better let the child know in advance, wait, mom's aware of this, dad's aware of this. You can bring it here. Yeah, you can bring yeah. it here. It's safe here. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a really good point. And of course, that doesn't mean that we want to talk about those things all the time. It's just you want to, you know, do it in a natural way and talk about just as many, you know, positive things as well. Of course, and, and it makes sense that if you're also paying attention to the child's mood and the child's in a positive, upbeat mood, well, we don't necessarily want to talk about depression, but if we're noticing a child who's sad and you know their personality is shifting a bit, then that would be the time, if I'm hearing you right, that you can just step in and say, hey, I noticed you're a little sad lately. What's going on for you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. The- Asking questions, asking and open-ended questions, right? Yeah, very important. So you mentioned, you know, the increasing rate of mental health issues in children. What do you see as the biggest factors that are contributing to anxiety and depression? So um, I let me preface this by yes. saying that I am not necessarily an expert in, in mental health. These are just sort of more observations as a parent, as a physician, um, just, you know, as a human being that I see. And, and first, I would say that um, I think more than there really being more depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts, I think these are all things that are just part of the human experience Um, just normal emotions. And I think that there's more awareness now that these things exist and people are talking about them more. And as parents talk about them with their kids and as these conversations come up because of things that happen on social media, uh, for example, and in the classroom, uh, they come to parents' attention and uh, parents feel more like, it's not one of those things where now we have to keep it quiet that I have a kid who is anxious all the time, um, we can bring it to someone and talk about it. You can talk to your doctor about it. If you're really concerned, you can take them to an emergency department. Uh, if you think that they're that they are serious about wanting to hurt themselves or they, they're saying that they want to do that. So I think there's it's more permissive to talk about these things. And so as they, we become more aware of them, it's going to seem like it's happening more and more, whereas before it was really just there, it was just hidden. Um, that said, I do think that to some degree there is a little more of it than there have has been in the past. And uh, there's a lot that contributes to it. I think, uh, unfortunately, um, social media can certainly contribute to it because um, kids today are not able to shut down that social experience. You know, when when I was a kid, you would go to school, you might have some difficult relationships that you have to deal with. But at the end of the day, you went home, you you know, did your family thing, did your your sports or your music or any extracurricular stuff that you're doing, and could really kind of turn away from school. You can't really turn away these days with social media. I mean, it just always is there lurking in the background. And of course, people are putting 
um, you know, their best faces on social media. You're not really seeing what their life is like. Everything looks great. They're um, posting happy thoughts and, you know, the, their best pictures of themselves, which is not really real life. Uh, but then when you think about your life in comparison to what they are presenting, uh, that certainly can lead to feelings of anxiety and, and depression and, and those sorts of things. Now, that said, uh, that constant communication and uh, social media also opens up relationships that weren't necessarily possible before. And, uh, and it really does mirror real life. So I don't want to, you know, say, oh, just throw out social media because it's really impossible to do at this point. Um, but uh, you still want to treat it as like a real life relationship and, and realize that people do have relationships online and that there's healthy ones and unhealthy ones. And uh, you just, you know, again, need to talk about those things uh, very transparently as a family uh, with what they're with what kids are, uh, are up against. Um, and then, of course, moderation, I think, is really the key to all of this, because, I mean, there's bad parts of, of screen time and uh, the digital life. And there's, there's bad parts and there's good parts. And it's really just knowing what your kids are doing, being involved within their lives, talking about it, but then getting them off of the screen sometimes to do other things as well, I think is important. And I really like all of your points, all of your points from knowing that the child, when they're engaged in social media, they don't, and they're engaged in school life and then coming home, there is no off switch, right? It's with them 24-7. Yeah. They're getting interrupted by text through sometimes dinner, sometimes in the middle of their sleep. And so for parents to know that maybe that they can be part of that off switch when a child maybe isn't making wise decisions about leaving that phone, you know, in the, in the living room or somewhere that, you know, that's a part possibly where you might see that a parent could step in and help the child have a little more moderation. Yeah. 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 And I think too, there, we can model what moderation looks like in our own lives. So, you know, if we're having a conversation with our kid and we're the ones picking up our phone and checking our email and immediately responding to texts that come in instead of putting the phone down, you know, making eye contact and having an engaging conversation with them, you know, when they see us interrupting that engagement with a screen, um, it really sort of gives them permission to act in that same way. So I think, you know, really modeling um, healthy engagement, face-to-face -face personal interaction uh, is important for parents to really be aware of in their own behavior as it is in trying to get their kids to behave in a way that they want them to behave. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Mike. I am very grateful. It's been such a pleasure to share time with you. Where can our guests find you? Uh, probably the easiest place is just uh, search for Pediacast, P-E-D-I-A-C-A-S-T. Uh, and you can find that wherever podcasts are found. We're at pediacast.org. We're in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, SoundCloud, um, all those places. Just search for Pediacast. Pediacast it is. So thank you again. And for our listeners, as we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familius Publishing for their support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes and social media. And when you're ready for that next amazing book adventure, we'd be honored if you'd choose a book from Familius Publishing. One step at a time, we can make the world a happier place. Thank you for sharing your time with me, Dr. 
Dr. Carla Marie Manley. It's been a joy and a true pleasure. Be well and shine as only you can do. We talk together, learn together, play, work, eat together. We laugh together.